0: The the candidates, the process, just everything is is unlike any election uh, I've ever been through. But the reality is we go through these every four years. We select uh, a leader for our nation every four years. And there are a lot of similarities to some things that are going on. So we're asking God, give us some some principles to help us get through this. Now, I, I had barely finished the message last Sunday when... My phone blew up with notifications. I don't know if yours did or not, but they they started uh, about the time we were finishing, maybe even as we were getting started with this uh, service. It started with overheating gate, which led to pneumonia gate, which led to body double gate and medical records gate. And who's been more transparent with their medical records gate to? Trump supporter punches protester at rally gate, and, and the, the strange thing any other year we would have all been shocked by all of this, but if we were just honest, we would have gone, yeah, that's kind of how it's going, that's right there. It's, it's more surprising when something crazy doesn't happen, like when we go three days and something bizarre hasn't happened in this election, that's the unusual thing, and, and here we are, followers of Jesus trying to get from here to November 9th and beyond uh, in the right way hopefully and, and and probably all of us here this morning we'd say Look, we love this country we want the best for this country some people here have defended this country they've been a part of our military and defended uh, our rights and, and probably all of us would say we we love this country we want the best for this country, and and we realize that elections have consequences. I mean, this is an important season, but how do we participate in our act and come out on the other side as representatives of another kingdom? We talked last week Martin Luther's idea that we live kind of in these two kingdoms, these two worlds, one of, of God's rule and reign, sort of that eternal kingdom, and then we also, at the same time, live in a world that's not governed always by what is right. We live in a secular world, and we're kind of in between these two worlds right now. So how do we process all that we're seeing? Today, I want to talk specifically about Jesus and politics, and we'll expand to a couple of other places in the Bible. Primarily, I want us to look at the way Jesus interacted with the politics of his day and the secular government of his day, and then ask, what do we learn from that? In John chapter 6, Jesus performs what becomes one of his most famous miracles, uh, it's the feeding of the five thousand. That's what we call it. Jesus has been teaching all day. Everybody's hungry. There are five thousand men plus their their wives and children who are there. So ten to fifteen thousand people are all gathered together. It's the end of the day. They need to be fed, and Jesus gives this charge to his disciples: Hey, you need to take care of them. And what happens? Some of you know the story. Is Jesus takes a boy's lunch, two fish, five loaves of bread, blesses it, they begin passing out the meal, and it feeds all fifteen thousand people and there are are leftovers. Feeding of the five thousand. This moment for Jesus, his fame had been growing. Like the the interest level in Jesus had been growing. But especially for those fifteen thousand, this was just over the top. That just suddenly there all in, this is our guy, Jesus is the man, we want to follow him, and there is a move that day to install Jesus as their political leader who will overthrow Rome, and look, we're going to win now, now we've got the right guy in office, and we're going to finally win the election, and everything's going to go great. This is what happens, though, in John chapter 6, verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So if there, if there were a moment that Jesus was going to step onto the political platform, that he was going to take office, that he was going to be the leader of this movement, this was the moment because he had ten to 15,000 people ready to go, ready to follow him, ready to support him. But instead of taking that opportunity, the Bible says Jesus pulled back. Jesus withdrew from that moment. Later, just before Jesus is going to be crucified, he's standing before Pilate. And Pilate's trying to figure out who this guy is and what kingdom he rules because he knows they all call him their king. So what is your kingdom if you're a king? And Jesus said in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, I'm not competing with you for political office here. I'm not trying to take away your worldly throne. I'm not trying to overthrow you. What I'm doing is from another world. It's bigger than this world. The followers of Jesus called him many things. They gave him many titles like Messiah, uh, Son of David, Son of God. And all of those titles had political overtones. Messiah had a political overtone to it. Son of David, certainly coming from King David, had a political overtone to it. All of the titles that his followers gave to him had political overtones to them. Do you know the title that Jesus used for himself more than any other one? It was the title, Son of Man, which is the least political title of all the ones he was called. When Jesus attributed some position to himself, it was not political. It it did not send a signal of government or I'm here to be some sort of earthly ruler. He He chose the least political title he could possibly choose. So when you read the story of Jesus, when you look at his life and what he said and did and didn't say and didn't do, here's what you find. Jesus consistently refused to be labeled by a political party or even involve himself in politics in most cases. Jesus just simply refused to get involved in those arenas. He didn't insert himself into that discussion. As a matter of fact, probably the most political thing Jesus ever said was, pay your taxes. It's kind of the most political thing he ever said. One day is his enemies were trying to trap him into this, well, you're here to overtake Rome. And, and so they showed him a coin and said, Caesar says you're supposed to pay taxes to him. What do you say about that? And Jesus' response, is kind of famous, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. In other words, you pay your taxes. I'm, I, I'm not here for that kingdom. I'm not all involved in that kingdom. If the place where you live has taxes, then pay your taxes. Now, Jesus' followers, the Jewish people, hated paying their taxes. It was a part of the oppression of Rome, and when Jesus is kind of forced into a political statement, really the only one he ever makes is just pay your taxes. So, what do we make of that? What do we make of of our Savior and the way he lived and interacted or refused to interact with political issues? Couple of ideas. Number one, Jesus' example that we find in the New Testament doesn't prohibit us from participating in the political process, nor does it suggest it is wise to be uninvolved. All right, let me clarify that from the start. I'm not saying Jesus never got involved in politics, so you shouldn't either. You shouldn't vote. You shouldn't have ideas. You shouldn't have a. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's the application Jesus would want us to take from him. During Jesus' day, his followers, they didn't have any influence over the government. They couldn't get involved. As a matter of fact, the only way you could get involved, if you were a Jewish person living under Rome, was to try to overthrow the government. And if you failed, that didn't end real well for you. So it wasn't like you voted and your guy didn't get in, so then you just vote the next time. They, they didn't have access to be a, a transformative part of that process. They didn't have access to be an influential part on that process. We do. I mean, we, we live in a place where we can actually take principles of God's Word and salt and light that God's called us to be, and we can use that to be an influence in the political system. And I think that's fine. As a matter of fact, I think that's a very good thing. Later in the New Testament, we meet Paul, and Paul often goes to the city center. It's it's where social ideas and political ideas and philosophical ideas were discussed and debated, and very often we find Paul in the middle of that. We, We find Paul dialoguing. And saying, hey, have you thought about this? Hey, let me tell you about this. And he's always trying to point people toward Jesus in that process. The point is, he got involved in those discussions. As followers of Jesus, we don't have to completely pull out of the political process to honor him. I I mentioned last week that there are some people in this particular election, unlike any other Who have decided, or at least at this point they've decided, out of my own conscience, my own set of principles, I can't support any of the candidates. I can't vote for any of them. And that may be where you end up. What I would say to that person is, no one should get to that point without serious consideration without a lot of prayer, without really considering what that means, because elections have consequences and far-reaching consequences. And, and, And as far as what I think, I think that may be a reasonable conclusion for some people, but it should not be arrived at casually. We should not decide to completely pull out of influencing the system that we're in casually or flippantly. Like, I realize... The thought of voting for the lesser of two evils, which is what's getting discussed a lot right now, I realize that's not a very compelling argument. That's not a compelling argument for me. And maybe it's not a compelling argument for you. But to decide I'm not going to participate at all, you should not make that decision casually. Now, I do find it a little humorous in this debates and discussions that are going on. I find it a little bit humorous that my friends who have already decided to vote for Donald Trump think that not voting is a vote for Hillary Clinton. And my friends who have already decided to vote for Hillary Clinton think that not voting is a vote for Donald Trump. I don't know how it can be both of those, but that's what both camps seem to think. They both think that if you don't vote, you're voting for the other person. Both of them think that. What I'm saying is... we. We are given an opportunity to, to influence and participate. And, and we should not refuse to exercise that right without careful prayer and consideration. So Jesus' example doesn't, it shouldn't lead us to think, well, I should, shouldn't be involved in any of it. At the same time, the Jesus of the Bible does not identify himself with your or my political party. He didn't 2,000 years ago, and he wouldn't in 2016. I mean, if Jesus were here today, he would not be going to your party's big convention. He just, that's not where you'd find him. He would not be wearing your candidate's pin. He would not have your candidate's bumper sticker on his car if he had a car if he were here. Who knows? Jesus did not dress himself up in the robe of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Independent Party or the Green Party or any party, and he would not do that if he were here. Therefore, you and I need to be really, really careful about assigning Jesus to a political place, assigning Jesus to... To a political party. Claiming that, oh yeah, well Jesus is on our side. Can I give you a a, a suggestion? In this election cycle and everyone that is to come. Avoid speaking for Jesus or claiming a particular party is the Christian party. I think it's been one of the most damaging things of this particular election. Is the, the rush to label one candidate or the other, oh, this is the one all the Christians should be for because this is the, this is, this is the one God would want us. How, how do you know that? Because Jesus refused to identify himself with any side of the political debate. That's not saying that you shouldn't personally. What I'm saying is you should not claim to speak on behalf of Jesus, especially in areas that he never spoke about whether that's a candidate or a party or an issue. Because here's the problem we run into, and and we've, I think, seen it more than most elections uh, this cycle. Once you lock Jesus into a party, then you're left defending all of that party's platform as something Jesus would be for. And I'm just going to tell you, the God of the universe... The Holy Spirit, His Son, the Trinity that we claim to worship, does not fit neatly into anybody's political party. He's not small enough to get squeezed into your brand. And you may love your brand, and you may fully support it, and you may be behind a candidate. There's nothing wrong with that. There is something wrong in saying that Jesus fits into my party's platform. No, He doesn't. Never has, never will. Here's another suggestion. Don't confuse personal issues, political issues, and spiritual issues. They are not always the same. It is fine. It is fine to have an opinion on a political issue. It's fine. Just don't make every political issue a spiritual issue. It's fine to have a position on personal issues. Just don't make every personal issue a spiritual issue because they may not be. Whether or not the IRS should continue the current tax structure or whether we should move to a fair tax or a consumption tax or some other tax. You know what Jesus would say to that issue? Pay your taxes. That's all he's going to say. No, it's okay for you to have an opinion on that issue. It's okay for you to say, well, look, I'm for this. I think this would work better. I think the current system's working just fine. It's fine for you to have a personal and or political issue on that uh, particular issue, issue. It's not fine to say that Jesus is for the fair tax. Jesus just said pay them. And I think he said, pay them so he could turn to his disciples and say, okay, can we get back to what's really important now? Like, can you pay your taxes and let's get back to kingdom work? Let's get back to changing lives and loving people and ministering to people. Just do that and then let's get on to what's really important. Again, it's fine for you to have a side, it's not fine for me to raise. What's only a political issue or only a personal issue to the level of, well, this is a spiritual issue, and unless you see it my way, you're wrong, and Jesus doesn't love you. That's wrong. Here's Here's another suggestion. Take it or leave it. We don't have to speak to or have an opinion about every issue. Can I just relieve the stress from some of you? Can I relieve the burden from some of you? It's okay to not have an opinion about some things. It's okay to have an opinion and not tell it all the time. Those are okay. Like, that's legit. You could actually live a happy life that way. It's possible. You don't have to have an opinion. Especially if your opinion is simply parroting what your favorite news anchor said about that issue. Especially if your opinion is just repeating what you heard your candidate say about that issue. It's okay to have opinions. It's okay to defend your opinion. It's okay to promote your opinion. It's okay to publicize your, your opinion. But at the end of the day... It's okay also to say, you know what, I really don't know enough about that to comment. You know, I, I don't know. I really haven't read much about that. I really don't know all the issues involved there. It's, it's okay to graciously back out of a discussion at times and say, you know what, I, that's really not something that I'm knowledgeable, knowledgeable about, or that's really not something that's all that important to me, so I don't really want to speak to that because I don't know enough about it. Another suggestion. Some questions that if you are going to speak, if you are going to post, whatever you're going to do, before you do that, here's some questions to ask. Ask this question. Why do I want to speak into that issue? If you feel motivated to champion a cause, and you might. If you feel motivated to post something on social media, if you feel motivated to repost or share an article... Before you do it, just ask this question. Why do I want to speak into that issue? Is it because I'm mad? Because that's usually a really poor place to speak from. Is it because I want to win? Is it because I want to embarrass somebody? Is it because I want to belittle somebody? Is it because I'm frustrated? Just a simple why. Before you post, repost, share, just ask. Why? What's motivating this? Second question, have I reflected on what I'm about to say or post and how it will be received by my audience? Have I reflected? Have I paused just a minute to ask, all right, when the other person on the other side of my Facebook reads this, how are they going to feel about it? I have I have never regretted pausing before I sent something. Because sometimes what'll happen is I'll read it and I'll realize, you know what, if I change that word and that word, this will be received a lot better. If I change that word, because I'm really stereotyping a lot of people with that word, and I don't, so I don't want to use, I'm really this is kind of an attack word, and that's gonna muddy the message. I have never, ever regretted pausing and rewording for clarity and so that it doesn't come across as if I'm attacking somebody. Never regretted that. I have, on more than one occasion, regretted hitting send too fast. Email, text, social media, on more than one occasion, and I wish I could have taken it back. So especially in this heated, volatile environment, just pause, ask, why am I speaking into this issue? Is there anything I need to change about my comment so that the other person will receive it in the way that I intend it as best I can control through the the medium that I'm using? And then ask this question. Have I considered the possibility that I may not have all of the information on or that the issue is more complex than what can be resolved in 140 characters? Have I even considered that? That maybe, although I know some things about this issue, and I feel strongly about some things about this issue, is it possible there are parts of this issue that I don't fully understand, and I can't fully speak to, and I need to be humble about that? Second, do I realize... Tweets have never resolved one geopolitical argument ever in the world. Instagram and Facebook has never resolved a single geopolitical issue between two people in the history of the world. Never once. Now, I'm not saying you, you can't post in the right way and, and with the right motives. I am not scrolling through social media to see which one of you is posting about politics and thinking you're a terrible person. right? I'm not. I don't have time to do that. What I'm saying is, as bearers of the light of the gospel, living in a heated, conflicted time, let's speak truth and love and grace. And less attack and belittling and arrogantly thinking we have all of the answers. Or we know all of the information about every single issue. Because none of us do. Lastly. Remember. Especially over the next seven, eight weeks. Remember that Jesus' agenda was always bigger than politics. There's not a single moment in Jesus' life where he allowed the kingdom mission to be overridden by political agenda. Never did he allow that to happen. His mission was always bigger than than politics. Jesus came to save the world. But God so loved the world Not for God so came, for God so loved one election. God so loved the world. Jesus' mission and ministry was about that purpose. Jesus knew that his father was in control. In, in, In John 17, Jesus is praying. Right before he's betrayed, he prays this incredible prayer about how, God, you're in control of everything. Everything's come from you. Everything's going to you. Everything that happens gets through you. He prays this beautiful prayer of God's sovereignty and reign and control. And that's how he lived. He lived as if his father really was in control. We, we claim to believe Presidential election 2016. We claim to believe in a God that controls the wind and the rain. A God who flung stars in space, who created everything out of nothing. We can't claim to believe in that God. We claim to believe that He's all powerful, that He's mighty and strong, and His arm's never too short to save. He's never not strong enough to step in and intervene. We sang. Not 20 minutes ago. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. If God is for us, what can be against us? This is the God we claim to know and be in relationship with and worship. So why would we lose our minds over one election? We not realize that as much as we love our country, and we should... We are 320 million people out of 6 billion on this planet. And the mission of God is not contained to November 8th, 2016. It's just not. The psalmist said Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And for the next seven weeks, you know what? Some trust in elephants. Some trust in donkeys, but we better not. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. and His agenda is far bigger than one election. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved. I'm not saying there aren't consequences to every election. There are. But God's work doesn't stop no matter what happens November 8th. Some of you know I taught school at Loganville Christian Academy just down the road here for five years, and uh, my very first year there, fall of 2008, I met my first senior class. Uh, They were class of 2009, and uh, they almost drove me to drink, just to be honest. But (laughs) after nine months together, after nine, I just I I came to love these students. Some of them are here. I came to love these students and, and. In the time that has passed since we first met, I've seen God use so many of them in in powerful, life-changing ways. And one of them here is going to help me out as we wrap up today. This is Brooks Driver. Would you give Brooks a big hand? Brooks, join me up here. I let Brooks use the big stool because I'm taller. So, um, uh, but, uh. Brooks has been a a part of the bigger mission for the past year, and and I I wanted him to come talk to you about it, just just as a reminder, as followers of Jesus, we're so laser-beam focused on us right now, that God's purposes are getting accomplished all over the world. And Brooks has been, for the past year... uh, outside of the United States and allowing God to use him. And uh, I asked Brooks to describe it to you because if I tried to describe it, I'd get it wrong and he's been doing it. So Brooks, tell us about the last 11, 12
1: months of your life and and what's been happening. Sure. Um, I was with an organization called Adventures and Missions doing one of their trips called the World Race. You go to 11 countries for 11 different months. Um, One country per month, and uh, you just partner with different organizations, pastors. Sometimes you're preaching seven days a week. Sometimes you're doing a feeding program, teaching English, um, caring for orphans, you know, whatever they need. Yeah. We do the best to facilitate that and help them out.
0: So this organization comes in for a month,
1: different country every
0: month, 11 different countries, and um, long time to be away from your family, be yeah. away from your friends, oh, totally yeah. new environment. You. You had kind of a malaria scare at the beginning. Yep, it took you some sure time did. to work through that. <laughs> uh, but for the past year, we've been treated to presidential primaries and debates and this conversation going on in our country. And you were kind of outside of that. What, what sort of things did you see in these 11 months?
1: I saw some exciting things. I know the primaries were probably... Super entertaining with those two. Entertaining is uh, a good word. Yeah. Um, but, man, I saw, like, that, that power of God that you were talking about. I saw healings. I got to lay hands on people and pray for them and say, like, God, if it's your will to heal these people, then heal them. And I saw it happen, you know. Mm-hmm. I saw a feeding, kind of like feeding of the 5,000. About 150 people in a village. We had a small bowl of rice and chicken, and it fed everyone we had leftovers. Uh-huh. Um, we, we saw, um, man, I ate lunch with a Muslim man every day in Malaysia at his restaurant. Um, got to share with him about Jesus and share just the love of Jesus. I got to care for orphans in Thailand that had HIV or even full-blown AIDS. And got to care for over 100 orphans. You know, it was just great um, seeing God's people. It's, Amazing.
0: You mentioned when you were in Rwanda, they, they just
1: wanted you to preach
0: all day because there's a hunger for God's word. We're kind of noticing it's almost 12 o'clock here, but for, for them, it was all day. They just wanted to hear God's word.
1: Yeah, it was from morning to night, They every day, seven days a week. And yeah. if they found out we were at one church, they'd say, well, come to come to our church <laughs> in between there. So, I said, I got to eat lunch at some time, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we taught for seven days a week for at least two weeks. Yeah. They're so, hungry. As you,
0: as you were among HIV-positive orphans and a Muslim restaurant owner that you got to share Christ with, what, what did God
1: show to you over those 11 months? What are the things you came home with and, and God taught you? Yeah, he, he really taught me about his love and that he loves us so much, but he loves them so much as yeah. well. And he taught me how to love people well, taught me to love the Muslim man, to love the orphan, to love the Republican or Democrat or anyone, you know, because God loves us so much. He he really taught me that it's not my job to convert people. It's my job to point them towards Jesus. Mm. And so I didn't want them to look at me and ask me f- for the answers. I'm just pointing them toward the answer yeah. and showing them Jesus the best way that I can. Yeah, fantastic. So... You spend 11 months all around the country, and you're, you're back now. What's,
0: what's next?
1: Um, next, I'm in the process of fundraising right now. I'm going to Spain in 11 days, and I'll stay there for six months yeah. at a um, leadership academy. Fifteen people get accepted every semester, so it's kind of an honor that I got to get accepted first try. Yeah. So that's next for me for six months. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. What did you think, Brooks? for sharing his story. It's so easy right now for us to only see what's coming through our TV and our internet connection. But God is at work all over the world. And He's inviting us into that. So let's not get so distracted by smaller things that we forget that Jesus' kingdom was always bigger than politics. Always bigger than what was right in front of Him. May we live that way. Let's pray. God, I thank you for reminders. As, as caught up as we all are because we love our country in, in this election and, and its implications. Help us to put our eyes on you. Help us to trust you, to follow you, to, yes, be knowledgeable, to be informed, to to be transformative parts of the culture that we live in, but to never forget your work is bigger than one place, one election, one people. Your work is happening all over the world among HIV-positive orphans and Muslim restaurant owners and Rwandans who want to hear the word of God. Help us not to settle for less than the global impact that you want us to have. As Jesus prayed that your kingdom would come more fully to this earth. Because we are carrying that kingdom. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Invite our ushers to come forward. Give us the opportunity to worship God in our giving. If you filled out that card, you can drop it in the offering bucket as it goes by. <clears throat> Brooks has a GoFundMe account for his next opportunity. If you want to talk to him about that afterwards, if you want to support what he's doing, uh, let's pray. God, help us now to faithfully worship you in the way that you've put on our heart. That the ministry of your kingdom and of this church may continue to go forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. encourage you to be back with us tonight at 6.30 uh, for our gathering uh, where we're going to dream about what God has for the future of our church. As we, as we leave this week, may we go out as salt and light, people of peace and love and grace to transform our culture for the kingdom of God. Have a great week.